The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day for those of you who are here. Our fathers, we're uh, especially grateful for you, thankful. Now, for any of you who have ever had a father, please stand. No, I'm kidding. Hopefully that would be everybody. Uh, We're so glad you're here, and we're looking at a great passage today. I think a lot of dads, dads who are believers in Jesus Christ, really want to lead their families uh, to follow the Lord in in good, vibrant ministry. And this passage in Isaiah 61 really does do that in a wonderful way. Remember, we're in this uh, study of Isaiah, and Isaiah's ministry lasted about 60 years or so, and it spanned the time between when the kingdom was divided, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And so it started there, and then bad kings in the north. It goes into captivity, Assyrian captivity by Sargon II. Southern kingdom exists, continues, and uh, they are just having an extremely, extremely difficult, difficult time. As a matter of fact, uh, even the southern kingdom, after the northern kingdom is taken into captivity by Sargon II, a king of Assyria, it would be modern-day Iraq, uh, took him into captivity, and they decimated the land. The Assyrians totally decimated the land. They would kill most of the guys. They would keep some as slaves, but they would imprison, kill, kill most, flay them, behead them, and then they would keep the women of childbearing ages. They would keep them... uh, it was just utter devastation. The crops were wiped out. The trees were all burned down. Vineyards were burned down. Utter, complete devastation. So that's what was going on while Isaiah prophesied. And even in the midst, even the southern kingdom, when they had a good king, a good king Hezekiah started some reforms. Even then, Sennacherib comes in from Assyria and attacks all of the southern kingdom, all of Judah, wipes out all of southern Judah with the exception of where Isaiah was in Jerusalem itself. So picture that in your mind as I read and just feel the hope Isaiah would give in the midst of utter devastation. This is the picture of the Messiah coming. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. You can imagine how encouraging this must have been to those who were still alive in captivity, to those who remain seeing their worlds collapse around them. And he talks about the person of the Messiah. He says, the Spirit of the Lord God, Jehovah, we talked about this before, Yahweh Adonai is upon me because he has anointed me. That he is, he is the personal name for God. He deserves utmost reverence, utmost obedience is required uh, to uh, the Messiah. Uh, Doug talked about it last week, how Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, this is who Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. There are lots of of names for Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Yahweh Adonai, an extremely powerful name here is used. Uh, He's also called God's anointed. He is called in Genesis the one, and this is key because we're going to hear about this, the one who will bruise Satan's head. In other words, there's a conflict going on 
on behind the scene that's sort of bigger than politically what's going on? Oh, he's the one who will bruise Satan's head. He was born of a virgin. He would be called, Isaiah 7, Emmanuel. He was called the Sovereign Lord, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Father of Eternity, uh, the one who would rule on David's throne forever, the one who would come in the power of the Spirit. He would be the one who would minister not only to the Jews but also to the Gentiles. He would be the mediator of the new covenant, the light to the Gentiles, the gift of salvation to the world. That's the person of the Messiah. What about his ministry? What I'd like for us to do, these first couple of verses, and I want to spend a little time here because Jesus quotes this exa almost exactly. He stops at an abrupt place, but he quotes out of Isaiah 61, and I want us to see it because it really does uh, describe what ministry should look like whether it be in a church, whether it be in our, in our families, community groups, it's a picture of what ministry would look like. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now, the key to understanding is, is that little phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, Leviticus 25 tells us clearly that he is talking about the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, it's a time every 50 years where everything would be set free. The land would be set free. There would be rest for the soil. There would be rest from harvest. There would be the return of all property to the original property owners. And then those who might be indebted would be relieved of all their debt as well set free from poverty set free from debt everything oh, it's like hitting a reset button you know it's sort of a control alt delete reset rebooting the computer that's what happened and it was the lord's way of balancing the economy and keeping the rich from totally exploiting the poor so it became known as a year of freedom a year of grace uh, it was called the season of favor, the day of salvation, the time of God's blessing and grace. Now, what we're going to find is that Jesus will pick up the scroll and read from it, and thus declaring that we are now in this year of Jubilee. As believers in Jesus Christ, before he comes again, we're living in the day of Jubilee, where we are uh, set free from toil. In other words, we, we can't earn work for our salvation. We're no longer under the bondage of sin in Christ. We're set free. Uh, we are now at liberty in Christ. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. And because of that, we get to experience spiritually, and I'm gonna, it's, it's, it's more than just that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but spiritually, because this is a year of Jubilee that Jesus makes it very clear in Luke chapter 4, we get to experience spiritually the rest of this verse, chapter 61, 3 to 5, to grant those who mourn in Zion, that's in Jerusalem. Can, can you understand now why they would be mourning in Zion? The northern kingdom taken into captivity, most of them killed, the land wiped out. Southern kingdom, everybody except for Jerusalem has been utterly decimated now by Sennacherib. First Sargon II, now Sennacherib, families, relatives, the whole land that was supposed to be given to them, everything wiped out. 
So to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Can, can you understand the ashes, the faint spirit, um, how sad they would be, the, uh, the mourning? And he says, now you're going to be called oaks, of righteousness, but everything around them, every tree has been burned down, but he's saying now with the Messiah, you'll become an oak of righteousness, a planning of the Lord that God might be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. You're, you're going to be called priests of the Lord. So put yourself you know, back in time, 2,700 years, and understand how the people in Isaiah's day must have felt when Isaiah said these things, wrote these things. Their hearts must have been filled with hope that someday the Messiah would radically alter what they have just experienced. Number one, to bring good news to the poor, to the afflicted, and that's, that's how they were after Assyria decimated their entire country, they would have access to a king, access to all of the king's spiritual resources. That He would bind up the brokenhearted. Uh, to bind up doesn't mean to imprison. It'd be like gauze. The, the balm of Gilead would be gauzed, be, be wrapped around. The, the broken heart would, would be healed, would be gauzed so that uh, those who experience such tragedy then would then begin to experience a healing. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And again, the Jews of Judea would, would hear this and, and understand that their relatives, uh, their brothers, their sisters have been carried into captivity, many killed, many enslaved, many, um, well, I won't even explain what all they did to them all, but it was just the most horrific things you can ever imagine. Um, they would be proclaim liberty to them, to the opening of the prison, to those who are bound. Uh, just, it would have been the passage of incredible hope of what the Messiah would do. So they would be set free, literally, spiritually. It would, they would be set free from the captivating blindness that would surround them as well. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole country, even, even when Sennacherib came in and, and destroyed all of the southern kingdom with the exception of, of Jerusalem, even then it was in the middle of a revival, Manasseh. But, uh, but then, or, I'm sorry, Hezekiah, but then Manasseh comes in, wicked Manasseh, right after that. And then fifthly, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's that year of jubilee, that there's going to be a season of favor. There's going to be a day of salvation. There's going to be a time of God's grace. And then would be the day of vengeance of our God. So I'll just skip ahead a little bit. Now is the day of salvation. And we're going to see this, how Jesus approaches this. But there will come a day where God will uh, rule righteously. There will be a day when God does deal with his enemies. He will deal righteously, but he will 
come down in force. And that, when Jesus walked into Jerusalem, that's exactly what the Jews were still looking for. When is he going to destroy our enemies? It wasn't Assyria. It wasn't Babylon. 135 years after what we're talking about, it'll, it'll be another kingdom. It'll, it'll be Babylon will come in with Nebuchadnezzar. That's Daniel. So next week, Doug will finish Isaiah. And then the following week, we're going to start six weeks in Daniel. And so we'll have the whole breadth of Israel's history with two major prophets, Isaiah, Daniel. We'll see the whole thing play out. But the Jews are still, okay, you, you said you're going you're to exact vengeance on our enemies. When are you going to do it? And, and we'll see that. Ultimately, it will come in Revelation 19 and 20. So now let's jump forward 700 years. Let's do that. Because Jesus will take this passage. He's on earth now, the Son of God, on earth, uh, in his hometown, Nazareth. And he is going to read these verses, but do something strange with these two verses, okay? Uh, very dramatic. Oftentimes I've heard people say, well, Jeff, you know, people say that Jesus claims to be God, but nowhere in the Bible does Jesus really claim to be God. Oh, really? Well, this is one you can take him to. This is one Jesus so clearly claims to be Yahweh Adonai that they want to kill him immediately, okay? We'll see that in a few minutes, but, but here is one. Now, when we read it, we might not see that, but to the people that Jesus spoke to, they absolutely saw it. So he goes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written. So the, the servant of God, Yahweh Adonai, uh, the Christ now, not the pre-incarnate Christ, but Christ himself, goes to this specific passage and reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, we're going to get to the reaction of the crowd in just a minute. Two, two very different reactions. But before we do that, I want us to see Jesus has just laid out what ministry should look like. He's laid out what ministry in a church should look like, ministry, whether it be overseas, whether it be through our families. He's laid out what ministry should look like. Five main components of ministry during this year. We're in the year of Jubilee, so during the year of Jubilee, here are the five elements of ministry. Number one, it should be a ministry that offers salvation and hope. He anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, obviously, not only is he talking about to those who are economically deprived, uh, Matthew chapter 5 makes it very clear he is also talking about those who are poor in spirit. Uh, in other words, those who are morally bankrupt, those who have no claim before God. 
If a person thinks, if you were to ask them, well, do you think you'll get to heaven? And they say, oh, I hope so. And you would say, well, why do you hope so? And they said, well, I've done this and I've done this and I've tried to be good and I've tried to do you know, all these good things. Then really Jesus has no place for them because Jesus has come for those who are spiritually bankrupt. They have come to the point in their lives where they say, my righteousness cannot save me. I am a sinner. There's nothing I can do to deal with my sin that deserves separation from God. So if you're here and you're saying, oh, well, well, I think I'm good enough, then I, I would say you probably, if you are, then you don't really need a Savior. So Jesus has come for those who are poor in spirit, for those who are uh, spiritually bankrupt, who claim not even a shred of evidence for how good they've been. So I think our ministries cry out to the morally and spiritually bankrupt. Uh, I think to those who might suffer from an illusion of wealth or an illusion of self-confidence or independence, then the ministries of Parkview have nothing to offer to those who have that illusion of self-confidence. So there's salvation and hope. That's the good news to the poor. Secondly, forgiveness and liberty. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And that's for those who are bound um, because they have missed the mark. They will be judged. They will be condemned. Uh, but he has sent me to proclaim liberty to those who are captivated, held captive by their own sin. Paul puts it this way. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive, captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. And Paul realizes, I'm stuck. I have got to be delivered. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, another real interesting way to talk about this would be a picture out of Luke chapter 11 that the Jews, because of their history and what they've gone through, they absolutely see it. It's a little harder for us, but hopefully now you'll be able to appreciate it. In Luke chapter 11, uh, he says that he comes into the strong man's house. In other words, that Jesus comes, the Messiah comes into the devil's quarters, into the devil's kingdom, you're of your father, the devil, into his throne room, earth, uh, and he binds the strong man. This is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. This is a story of the gospel. He goes into the strong man's house, and this, this is another realm, so the, the spiritual realm. He goes into the strong man's house. He binds the strong man. Uh, that's what he did on the cross, and then he plunders Satan's possessions, that's you and me. He plunders Satan's possessions. So Jesus doesn't come to help. Jesus, well, initially, Jesus doesn't come to help or to aid us so that we can be happy, so that we can be successful, so that we can be uh, rich or have a good marriage or have great kids or a good career or significant relationships. Not that those aren't important, but he, his purpose isn't to come to help us uh, to get all those things. His purpose initially is to come to deliver us. 
we have got to be delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So that, when that happens, this is Isaiah 61, when that happens now, verses 3 to 11 in Isaiah 61, we get a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. We can get to be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. We were called priests of the Lord, ministers of God. So notice, no longer ashes, no longer mourning, no longer faint spirit. Do you, do you see where the Jews were? I mean, this is exactly the answer what they were looking for. This is what we're looking for. We're going to be called priests of God, ministers of the Lord. Instead of shame, there's a double portion, everlasting joy. And then, what I like, especially because it's Father's Day too, it's talking about your offspring, kids, and dads. What dad wouldn't be thrilled for this? Your offspring will be known among the nations, clothed with the garments of salvation, covered with a robe of righteousness. So ministry, like Jesus, you know, what would Jesus do? This is what Jesus would do. It's designed to help those, to deliver those imprisoned by the fetters of guilt and sin. That's what Jesus did on the cross so that the wrath of God would be judiciously appeased and he would then be able to extend mercy and all the blessings that you read about uh, in Isaiah 61. This is why John Wesley wrote these words. He wrote of the Messiah, he breaks the power. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the, what? Prisoners free. This is Isaiah 61. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets prisoners free. His blood makes the foulest clean and his blood, his blood availed for me. So he gives salvation and hope to the blind, forgiveness and liberty to the captives, purpose and perspective by recovering sight to the blind. Jesus obviously does this physically, which was important, but it always points to a spiritual reality, whether it be blind Bartimaeus, whether it be John 9, the, the man who was born blind, I once was blind, but now I see. Um, you know, not all of us are physically blind, but all of us, when we are held in Satan's power, are sp we're all spiritually blind. So Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, blind, we're veiled to the gospel, blind to the gospel, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, and here it is, the God of this world. See, that? that's the strong man. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul likened his own heart to total blindness. That, that's why he was struck blind. That's why, you know, the, the scales had to be taken away. Um, that's that new purpose, a whole new perspective in life that the Messiah can give us, whether it be a new perspective on life or death or judgment or morality or what is right and what is wrong and what is true. 
Fourthly, he gives us freedom and a fresh start to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's what ministry should look like. Jesus' ministry in the church, in our families, around the world, mission organizations, etc., should set people's lives free who have been oppressed. It could be destroyed, or the word could be those who have been smothered, or those who have been crushed, or those who are suffering under the burden of a yoke. That's what was happening in Assyria. They were smothered. They were being crushed under a burden. And that's exactly what Jesus' ministry uh, can do. Uh, I've come to set at liberty those who have been oppressed and caught up in the mire of life. And for some people, it could be caught under the oppression of habits, under the oppression of the past, under the, under the oppression of, of parents. You know, I think, you know, today, Father's Day, so many could be here who have had fathers who have been oppressive to them. And your picture of God is based on a dad who has been a tyrant. Oppressive. Well, he has come to set at liberty those who have gone through that. It could be difficulties at work. It could be the oppression of sickness or cancer or disease or, or social presumptions or backgrounds. It could be all of that, all of those things. You think of the followers of Jesus Christ. You think of blind Bartimaeus. You think of Zacchaeus, you know, a, a tax collector. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's, he surrounded himself with the downtrodden, with the people who have been oppressed and held down. That's who Jesus surrounded his life with. So let me ask you, dads, what about you? Are you involved and are you leading your family? And as elders, are we leading the church into ministries that are setting at liberty those who are oppressed. It's not that the poor, pe poor people are more important to God than rich people, the haves, the have-nots, you know, the, the up-and-outers, the down-and-outers. That, that's certainly not the case. Jesus certainly loved uh, Nicodemus or Zacchaeus as much as somebody who's very, the, the widow, that's not the issue. However, it's very clear in the Bible that the poor tend to be more defenseless than those who have. They more desperately need somebody to stand in the gap with them and for them than those with great resources. And I think I think for all of us, if we've been part of Parkview Church very long, this is one of the reasons we get excited about something like Faith Academy. That it's not that a child that goes to Faith Academy is loved more than a child that goes to Heritage. That's ridiculous to even think that. But they are in a position where they need more help. That's what this passage is talking about. Um, when you look at the ministries described by Jesus Christ in Isaiah 61, first described by the Messiah 
from Isaiah of the Messiah in, in Isaiah 61 and then in Luke chapter 4. These kinds of ministries, listen, they are costly and they're messy. They're both. To think that we'll be able to engage in these kinds of ministries and for it not to be messy and not to be costly is irrational. Whether it be costing resources, costing time, costing emotions, it's messy and it's costly. I think any ministry, any ministry that is led by the Spirit of God will be those things. So here's a challenge. And let me tell you, it's a challenge for me. The challenge for me is this. I, I love Faith Academy. I am so thrilled that we have something like Faith Academy in this spot and, you know, a, a ministry up, up the hill. You know, I'm thrilled with that. Um, but the challenge is we can never look at those things like a feather in our cap. Like, oh, I'm so glad we do that. And then begrudge the cost. You know, and I confess, you know, I, I, I do, I, I'm so glad we're doing Faith Academy. I love it, etc. But sometimes I find myself, when I look at numbers, I start, begrud- I start begrudging the cost. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, it costs X number of dollars, but what about this ministry? What about that ministry? And folks, that's just wrong. That's wrong. Because ministries, I think, that thrill the heart of Jesus are both messy and they're costly. And I cannot be thrilled about the feather in my cap because we're doing ministry A, B, and C and not be excited about the cost as well. So pray for uh, Doug Fern. I thought I saw him back there somewhere. Yeah, pray for Doug Fern. Pray for Doug Schillinger. Pray for our elder board, for Mark, for those who serve on the elder board. Uh, as there's so many ministries that are so important and we want to follow God, we want to trust God, Pray for us as we try and put all these things uh, together. You know, we want to move forward. We mentioned, uh, Doug Schillinger mentioned at the uh, congregational meeting, you know, moving forward with the multi-sites. We feel so good about that, that, that there's so many people that need the Lord, and they, these are wonderful ways to do it. So we need help. We need balance to, to put it all uh, together. Fifthly, favor and restoration to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, again, this, this is the year of Jubilee. This, we're living in the year of Jubilee. This is a time of God's favor when God is pouring out his blessing. And Jesus is saying, look, I am it. But he purposefully leaves out Isaiah 61, the second part of verse 2, and the day of vengeance of our God. He leaves that out because Jesus is saying, look, now we're in the year of Jubilee. That, that day where he gets after the enemies, it's coming. You know, it, it, it'll be here, Revelation 19, 20, when Jesus comes back on a war, white war charger with swords and <laughs> flames and everything else. You know, he will take care of the enemy. There will be that day. It's, it's coming. But today, today is the day that, that one edge of the sword of the Messiah will cut away the chains that bind us. It'll cut away the fetters that hold us, the yoke that oppresses us. It'll cut out the spiritual cataracts that blind us. It's today is the year of God's favor where there can be reconciliation and restoration and grace and mercy and hope and purpose and perspective and forgiveness and freedom. 
there will become a day when the other edge will come, and that edge will result in death, eternal separation for those who do not trust in the Messiah, and they will be cast into a Christless eternity. That's the other edge of the sword. So the other picture of Jesus given in the Old Testament is the picture of the ark. There is judgment coming. The storm clouds are brewing. Jesus is the door. Get in the ark. Because there will be a day that will come when the door will close. You see that so clearly in these verses. He noticed the response. He rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant. The eyes of all those in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say, Today has been fulfilled in your image. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Folks, let me just say, it's Father's Day. This is my prayer for me. I told Cheryl, I already blew it. Last night I blew it. But um, my prayer for me is that I would be a, a man just like this. That I would be known, that people would marvel that gracious words come from his mouth. That's how, that's the kind of husband I want to be. When Cheryl, when I die, she will say, you know what, the one thing about Jeff is, you know, he spoke the truth, he didn't hedge, he wasn't politically correct all the time, but gracious words came from his mouth. I pray that that's what my kids say about me. Sometimes he was stern, sometimes he spanked me, he encouraged me a lot, but the truth is, gracious words came from his mouth. I pray that everybody on staff you as a congregation would say those same things. He spoke the truth. Sometimes he was tough, but gracious words came from his mouth. That would be my prayer for me. But there was another response, and that is when they heard the synagogue was filled with wrath, they rose up, drove him out of town, brought him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. There was another group of some people marveled, some people hated him. They wanted him dead. And amazingly, in just three years, they're going to lead him. These same people will lead him to another brow of a hill, and they intend to kill him. But will ha what happened three years later is exactly what happened here. Passing through their midst, he went away, and Jesus escapes death because God's plan was not for him to die as a martyr, but to suffer as a suffering servant of Isaiah 53, to die the death that we deserved, to die in our place. So let's wrap it up. A couple of points of application. Uh, first of all, uh, understand that without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. There is no hope. Nothing in my hands I can bring. Simply to the cross must I cling. There is no, if you claim righteousness, your own goodness, your own works to, to propel the way into, into heaven, you'll never make it. Jesus died 
for those who have no hope, no resources, no abilities. That kernel of wheat has got to die and fall to the earth. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And then secondly, please know that God does command us to go into a world that is very needy. We are to go into the highways, into the hedges, and to compel that his house be filled. We also know that Jesus is the gate. He's the only gate. Narrow is the road. Narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. And fourthly, we, got, we have to understand that all of us, when we read Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4, you cannot get away from it. God wants us to properly respond to the poor, to the ill-fated, to the oppressed, to the marginalized, to the diseased. And I just want to say there are two extremes that are very wrong. It's wrong for us. I, I, I think we don't like messy and we don't like costly, so we, we tend to want to go to the extreme that says, well, Jesus is really just talking about the spiritual. And so... Uh, we see that then as an excuse for doing nothing to most of the people in the world. Yet Jesus did give sight to the blind. Jesus did feed the poor. Jesus did heal the sick. Jesus did take care of people's needs. You can't get around that. I'm not saying he neglected people with. Clearly, clearly he did. I mean, clearly he didn't neglect them. He, he reached out to them like, like the Nicodemuses or the Zacchaeuses, those with a lot. Those with a lot, those with a little. We, we just cannot use the excuse of spiritualization to excuse us from getting into ministry that is both messy and costly. Secondly, we can't take the other extreme. We can't take the extreme of liberalism or liberation theology that just says we just need to take care of the needs and neglect the spiritual reality of people's hearts and souls. We can't do that either. Finally, this is not just a program that the church does. This is life for a believer. This is your life. This is your family. Dads, you need to be leading your family in this ministry. And elders and pastors, uh, staff, we need to be leading the church in ministries that at least reflect the heart of Jesus. Well, let's all stand up. We'll close in prayer. Jesus, it is my prayer that not only for me, but for all of us, that we would be like Christ and that grace would always be on our lips. Uh, Lord, it's clear, too, that your call for ministry is to offer salvation and hope to the poor, not only to those who are without resources and physically poor, but also to those who are poor in spirit, yet those who are 
may be physically poor and all, all of these elements that are, are a very real reality, blindness, sickness, poverty, they're perhaps far more open to the gospel than those with a lot. And so help us, Lord, to offer salvation and hope to the poor, uh, to proclaim forgiveness and liberty to those held captive, to give purpose and perspective to the blind, to give freedom and a fresh start to those who are crushed and favor and restoration. Lord, this is the year of jubilee, the year of grace, the year of freedom, the year of release, the year of forgiveness, that we might be born again. So I just pray, Lord, if there's any, any individual here this morning who have never placed their faith, their trust in this Jesus, the Messiah, who will only accept you if you come empty-handed, cling to Jesus, receive his grace, receive his mercy. He died for you that you might have life. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.